Good morning. We've got, uh, we've got some beautiful news in the psalm that we're going to be uh, looking at this morning, Psalm 130. And after last night, some of us need some encouragement. I love the song, Graves into Garden. You turn mourning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can. You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. You're the only one who can. That is true for me. My life has been turned into something I could never have imagined. I remember who I was. In the fifth grade, do we have any fifth graders? Fourth, fifth, sixth, I see a, a shy little hand here or there. In the fifth grade, Mr. Hill gave us a math test. After recess, we returned to Mr. Hill's class, and he handed our tests back to us. He told us he wanted us to correct our work while he showed us, you know, math problem by math problem, the work on the, on the blackboard. That's what we had in, when I was in the fifth grade. Before we turned them in, Mr. Hill asked us to use our red pencil and put the score at the top of our page and circle it. The following day, Mr. Hill told the class that he had graded the papers while we were at recess. He didn't identify the cheaters, but he talked to us about cheating at some length. He said that the discrepancies between his score and some of our scores made him very sad. He said, you know who you are. After his talk, Mr. Hill told the class that he would be calling the homes of those who had discrepancies. It was Friday. I cannot describe to you the terror <laughs> that literally choked me all week long, all weekend long. I wasn't afraid of Mr. Hill, though I didn't want to look him in the eye. I wasn't afraid of my mom, though I didn't want to see her disappointment. But I was terrified of my dad. I was guilty of cheating on my math test 
and Mr. Hill's phone call would trigger the apocalypse, <laughs> the complete and final destruction of my world. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't concentrate for fear of Mr. Hill's call. I enjoyed nothing. Every time the phone rang, my heart stopped. It was excruciating. I was miserable, beyond belief. Sunday evening, the phone rang as it had throughout the weekend. Was it him? I tried to read my mother's face. I was getting pretty good at it. She's listening, expressionless. Who is on the phone with my mother? Is he spilling the horrid truth? Was the end near? My mother turned to me and looked at me with a cold stare. She said, it's your teacher, Mr. Hill. He wants to talk to you. In slow motion, as if hardening to stone, I came close and took the phone. She listened without taking her eyes off me. Hello? Uh-huh. I think so. Yes. Thank you, Mr. Hill. Thank you very much. And I hung up. What did Mr. Hill want? My mother asked. He wants me to try harder in math. I told him I would, which generally reported the one-way conversation. Do you want to know what Mr. Hill said to me? Mr. Hill said, John, I'm going to forgive you for cheating on the math test. I'm not going to tell your parents. Uh-huh. John, you disappointed me, but cheating hurts you. It hurts you the most, and it hurts you because math is important. I want to help you. I want you to try harder. Can you do that? I think so. Yes. Okay then, John. I look forward to seeing you in class tomorrow. Thank you, Mr. Hill. Thank you very much. Mr. Hill rescued me from the depths, literally. He forgave me. Do you know how I felt about Mr. Hill? I didn't feel much about Mr. Hill until that phone conversation. 
It changed the way I felt about Mr. Hill. I cherished Mr. Hill. In fact, I loved him a little more every time I saw him. You might find this surprising, but years later, I continued to contact Mr. Hill and thank him. In some ways, I think Mr. Hill changed my life a little bit. Forgiveness restores relationship. Forgiveness reveals love and grace. Forgiveness renews hope. The psalmist had a similar experience, probably more profound than mine, although in the fifth grade, I thought mine was pretty profound. The psalmist took that experience to heart. We have his psalm as proof. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen for the morning more than watchmen for the morning. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. The psalm is a personal testimony that extols, that means elevates or lifts high the perfect love of God. The psalmist goes himself in this psalm from the depths in verse 1 to heights in verse 8. From the depths he cries to the Lord. And from the heights he cries out about the Lord. In between he ascends. He ascends. Scaling higher and higher like a climber, gaining firm holds, he ascends. He grabs and he finds a hold with forgiveness. He grabs and he finds a hold with hope. 
with hope secured. Hope in the loyal and steadfast love of the Lord. He climbs higher. He summits and he proclaims. He stands on top and he shouts to the nation, to his people, to anyone who will hear. The Lord, his love is everlasting. It's steadfast. His redemption is fathomless. Redemption is rescue. That is a sweet word, rescue. We need to be rescued. Each of us has things in our lives in which God stands ready to rescue us if we'll turn to him. One rescue from the depths may not be as deep or as great as another, but the Lord stands ready to rescue, to deliver, to execute redemption. Redemption comes from a battlefield between armies after one had defeated the other. Those who had lost wanted to redeem. They wanted to get back. They wanted to rescue those who had been killed in action. They wanted to recover their bodies. And those that had been taken captive and enslaved, they wanted to buy back. They wanted to redeem those and rescue them and give them their life back. They wanted to deliver them from the slavery that they had experienced because of defeat. It's a very powerful word, rescue, redeem. God's redemption is plentiful. God's love is great. It's perfect. Perfect love casts out all fear. We found that expression in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, I really encourage you this week to start at verse 12 and read to the end of the chapter and then pause when you get to verse 18. That entire section of scripture is about the love of God. It extols his love that has been proven to us in Jesus Christ, demonstrated and it is powerful because his love is demonstrated not only in the cross, the willingness to sacrifice his life for you and for me and to say you are worth that to me. 
but his power is demonstrated in the resurrection. That's conquering death itself. That's powerful love. And that love casts out all fear. That love is perfect. Perfect. Nothing, nothing can defeat that love. Not even death. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, says the psalmist, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Let me explain this vital thought, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I didn't love my father. I feared him. The kind of fear that makes you want to avoid someone that's happy when they're not there. When your mother says, your dad's not going to be home for dinner tonight. Inside, you're energized. I could never please my dad. He taught me a lot. He was a good example in so many ways, but I could never please him. He taught me how to sweep the garage, but it was never good enough. He didn't notice what I did. He just noticed what I didn't do. It's no exaggeration for me to say, no matter how hard I tried to win my father's approval, my father focused on my flaws. There are, you see in life, Mr. Hills, and then there are Mr. Venomous. I feared them both, but they were different types of fear. I feared Mr. Hill with respect. I held him in reverence. He rescued me. He cared about me. He believed in me. He thought I could do better. He helped me do better. He poured himself into me. Not in ways that singled me out as special beyond other students, but just made me feel like I mattered or I counted in life. I feared Mr. Venema with vows that were different. I never want to be like him. Never. I'll do everything in my life to be different than my dad. In life, you and I will have Mr. Hills and Mr. Venema's. But with the Lord's love, the ratio of encouragers and forgivers to discouragers and fault finders will not matter. With the Lord's love, we are not just secure, we are apostles. 
We don't care how many Mr. Hills or Mr. Venomas there are, just so long as we are Mr. Hill. Because we know that love, that forgiveness. We know we matter because of that kind of love, and we want to be conformed to it. We were transformed by it. But that's not enough, you see. You don't fear that love, you don't respect that love, you don't honor it, you don't glorify it unless you conform to it. You may have been changed by it, but you've got to conform to it. You've got to become that kind of love to others. Or you didn't get it in the end. Seeing the Lord and his love through the lens of influential people can be inspiring. But to really be that kind of love, you have to be inspiring. That doesn't happen so much between people. We just poop out. We don't have what it takes, but it's different with the Lord. Because he indwells us. That love abides in us. That love takes up residence in us. That love inspires us. And that means that we are forgiven not just once, but we're forgiven each and every day. Every day we're rescued. Every day we rise higher, we climb higher, and we extol the love of the Lord. Look at him. Look at his love. It's not just mine. It's for you too. There's enough for everybody. There's enough for everybody. That's our mission. That's our job. Why does God forgive? What's the purpose? that we might love him like that. In the Old Testament, that's called fear. That's called respect. That's a love that you don't easily forget. That's a love that you don't avoid. That's a love that you're drawn to, that you want to become like. God's forgiveness is not like he's a bean counter or an IRS agent keeping ledgers on us. He forgives us to raise us up, to encourage, to strengthen, for us to become someone better. I didn't get that as a new Christian. I didn't get it for a long time. I feared God in the other way sometimes. I was ashamed. I avoided other Christians. I didn't feel like I was worthy. I didn't want to go to small group or go to church. The last thing I thought of was that I could be a leader or that I even counted my sin was proof that I was the guy that you shouldn't help. That I was still the guy of the depths, not the guy of the heights. It was kind of like 
You know, it's one thing that's great about the pandemic, I like to look on the bright side, <laughs> is we've got basketball, baseball, and football playoffs, you know, all at the same time. It's wonderful. Well, we just, you know, we just had the NBA finals, and, and now we're into the, you know, Major League Baseball finals, and football finals are coming up. Wow, cool. Well, I'm watching football and baseball. And I imagine, I watch the linemen. I really like football. I mean, I, I don't just watch the outcome for the outcome. I, I'm interested in the game within the game. I like to watch those tackles, offensive tackles, OTs. I imagine I'm an offensive tackle. Our team is, we're trying to win the game, you know. We got our backs to the wall. It's the third down. And I've got to protect my quarterback. And I miss a block. And the missed block leads to sacking my quarterback. So now we're on the crucial fourth down. And the coach looks at the huddle, and he sees that there's only 10 players on the field. Where's, where's my tackle? Where's Venema? And he looks down the line, and there I am, sitting on the bench with my head in my hands. He comes marching down the line. He bends over because I'm looking down. He says, Venema, what are you doing? Venema, get in that game. Venema, we need you. That's what the Lord is doing when he forgives us. He's saying, get up off your feet. I need you. You're mine. You're my first string. Get in this game. That's what redemption is all about. That's what forgiveness is all about. Getting back in the game. But no, we take ourselves out. We sit on the bench. Sometimes the Lord is yelling at us, come on, I love you. My son died for you. Look, it's right here in the word. Don't you believe it? Don't you believe me? And we just sit there and we don't believe it. We don't feel it. We don't feel it. We don't feel it. I got to tell you, faith is not about feeling it. It's about believing it. It's about believing it. Do you really believe him? Do you realize how much he loves you? What difference is it going to make? Ask yourself. And then, and then evaluate your faith. 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. I remember as a young Christian, I was the black sheep of the family. I had uh, three cousins. They all went on to be pastors. They were well on their way before I was. And uh, our family loved to go to Mount Hermon every year and go to the conferences, the Christian Bible conferences. I liked to skip them. I went, but sneaked down to the river and smoked cigarettes 
But when I became a Christian, wow. You know, a Christian, a little Christ, a Jesus follower, a disciple. And I was talking to my cousin, Gary, about this verse. And we were talking about, does that mean you have to identify every sin? You know, like, you got to keep up with them. If you don't identify them and confess them, then maybe they aren't forgiven. Because he says, if we confess, and that was my notion of confession, and that's wrong. The word confess means to agree, to admit. It's one of my favorite words. Homo legato, homo, same, agree, legato, to say the same thing. I've read it in contracts, papyrus contracts, from before the time of Christ. Every transaction was agreed on, agreed on. You confess all the time when you agree to pay a certain price for a certain item. Homo legato. What does the Lord want us to do? He wants us to agree with the way he sees sin and this world. He wants us to agree with his heart. It isn't about counting sins. If he was into counting sins, we'd be toast. He knows. He knows we're sinners. He knows we're always going to be sinners. My Lord, why did he die on that cross? Because we're sinners. But he rose from the dead. And he poured out his spirit into us. That we might live. Sin is killing us. And he wants us to live. Agree with him about what that sin is doing. Let him raise you up. Let him recover you. Let him rescue you. Let him bring you back to life. Perfect love casts out all fear. I had a guy that I worked with for years here at Grace. You would know him. More than once, no matter how many times I talked to him, more than once, he would say, John, I know, I believe God loves me, but I don't think he likes me. Bridge that gap. Bridge it. He loves you. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. May we grow in understanding how much you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.